Hey everybody, Craig here. At around the 50 or 51 minute mark, we hit a truly wild section of The Time Traveler's Wife that is sexually explicit in nature. So just in case you're sharing this podcast with anyone, maybe give it a listen beforehand uh, before you put it on speaker. Thanks and enjoy the show. This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast with books you've been meaning to read. My name's Craig. My name's Andrew, and Craig is the Oscar time again. It is. And for the ninth year in a row, James Cameron's Avatar has walked away with Best Picture. You know, he said he was going to make more of those, but when they kept giving it Best Picture, they he just decided. It and it's that, that rule changed where they said, you know, it's not just going to be the pictures that came out this year anymore. It's going to be all movies of in, in all, like across all the years of all time. Yeah. And some people have said that's not fair, that they just did that so they could keep giving it to Avatar every year. And, you know, I'm inclined to agree with them. It does seem suspicious. I just, yeah, but I just don't know that there's a better picture out there than Avatar. It is the best picture. It really is. I mean, every once in a while, they like they let E.T. get nominated again, but that's really just... I mean, it gets nominated every year, but I mean, maybe... It'll get like a lifetime achievement award at some point mm, mm-hmm. in the future for all the good work it's done. Or it'll like there'll be like an ET two, and then they'll give it to the original ET. Like, and you'll know it's not for ET two; it's for the work that the ET franchise has done across its entire careers. Yeah. Well, that's why they keep giving the award to James Cameron because they just hope he'll make another one. Maybe well, if another we keep... ET. No, another <laughs> Avatar. James Cameron's ET two <laughs> Avatar. Mm-hmm. That is, is a sequel to E.T. I don't know if you knew We that. are waiting. So we're just going to keep waiting for Avatar 2. Yep. But until then, congratulations to Avatar. Best picture, nine years running. I don't even think it actually won the year that it was <laughs> no, <laughs> really I think nominated. It, I think the Hurt Locker won. <laughs> fairly certain the Hurt Locker won. And Ben Stiller had to dress up like a blue alien for no reason. So anyway, yeah. welcome to our movie podcast. AKA our book podcast where I we didn't talk watch about the Oscars. It's happening. The Oscars are happening right now. I and didn't watch any of them. Maybe Avatar will win this year again. Let's hope. So we're here to talk about books. Uh, I read a book called The Time Traveler's Wife by Audrey Niffenager, and it was recommended to us by one of our lovely Patreon supporters, Destination Toast. That's the only name I have for them. <laughs> so thank you. The location of toast where someone went. Every morning I wake up and I go downstairs and I'm like, what am I going to do for breakfast? Oh, destination toast. It's toast time. It's toast time. Time to toast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a book that many of us might know actually as as a film that starred Rachel McAdams and Eric Bana several years ago. That's um, a very intriguing combination of... <laughs> 
cast members. <laughs> yeah. My I impression think... of the film, and I've not seen it or read anything about it, but the high level Google, like what Google says the Rotten Tomatoes page says is not sure. kind. <laughs> no, and it, it, we made this. I think we made a joke about this on a like when you read Replay like many years ago, mm-hmm. uh, another time traveling book. We made a crack about Rachel McAdams' time travel movies because she's been in several. Um, I've seen at least one other one. What is she trying to get away from? Is my question. <laughs> Maybe she's the Terminator. She's been Ew. sent back in time. That would um, be more interesting. That than would be way the more actual interesting than the later Terminator movies. <laughs> So, what do we know about contemporary author Audrey Niffenegger, Andrew? Uh, what do we know about her? That's an excellent question, Craig, and I'm glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> she was born in 1963. She's currently a, a professor in the Department of Creative Writing at Columbia College, Chicago. And uh, Time Traveler's Wife was her debut novel. So it was published in 2003. Um, her other works include, um, there's a novel in 2009 called Her Fearful Symmetry, which you which is the other the only one of her things other than Time Traveler's, Traveler's Wife that I knew by name. Okay. Um, my understanding is that it didn't sell quite as well, but it was better reviewed. And then in 2013, she had one called Raven Girl. Um, since at least 2012 or 2013, she's been working on a, on a fourth novel called the chinchilla girl in exile. Sure. Um, but it's, I guess she's still working on it. And then she's done a smattering of like short stories and graphic novels. Yeah. She started uh, off as a, as a visual artist, um, doing a lot of print work and like small run kind of graphic novel-y work. I think she even initially conceived of this book as some sort of graphic novel but realized she couldn't do the like time jumping properly i watched an interview with her where she said well i thought i could either do it as a novel or a film and i didn't need anyone else to make a novel (laughs) so i've I've read a lot of comic books well i haven't read that many comic books it just seems like time travel should be a thing they can do yeah I i guess the the issue with comic books though is that you I'm sorry, graphic novels. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Um, is that you are pre- you are not always presenting like so the, the book does a lot of first person narration, so that's it's harder to do that, or at least not necessarily the same when you try to do that in comics or graphic sure. graphic novel, a visual medium. That, no, that that's way. what the yellow box is for, where the text goes. Yeah, that's the narration. Yeah, sure. Have you never read a comic book? Not no, never, never oh, for no. this show even. <laughs> Um, uh, so she began, that's pretty much all there is about her that, that I think we can talk about. Um, I know like the publication of this book is kind of interesting. So she started working on it in 1997, starting with the last scene, because that's how you write all books and movies and everything. You start with the end and you work backwards. Sure. Um, and it was like fairly early in the revision process it was reorganized to focus on the time traveler's wife instead of the time traveler yes um she did not have an agent when she started shopping this around so 25 agents rejected the manuscript um until she sent it to this uh, san francisco publisher mcadam cage um and they have a they have a policy or at least they did at the time that i find pretty confounding and it's that they will read all unsolicited manuscripts that they receive good on them up to a hundred a month at the time 
and uh, somebody who I, there's a Guardian profile of the of the book and of the publisher back in 2004, um, and they said, of course, that most of the material that they get is quote unquote hopeless. <laughs> okay, but every once in a while you find something like the Time Traveler's Wife. So sure, they were a super small publishing house. Like their their most successful book before Time Traveler's Wife had sold. 30,000 copies just and like, uh I that's a lot of books but in the publishing world I understand that that is not necessarily a lot of books yeah like it's it's fine but <laughs> they're publishing like 30 books a year and like to their most successful book ever had sold 30,000 copies sure and so for context time travel um the time traveler's wife by as of 2009 which is the most current figures i could find across just the US and UK it had sold 2.5 million copies whoa <laughs> which is more than 30,000 and there was, i think there was like a bidding war but then she ultimately went with them instead yeah, of going so she there um she she got an agent sometime after she sent the manuscript in oh sure um so the people at McAdam Cage were super interested in it um but she had an agent and the agent was like hey we aren't just going to like give it to you like we can <laughs> afford to be choosy now and so it, it there there was a small bidding war um McAdam Cage offered $100,000 to to publish the book and that was not as much there was another unnamed publisher that offered more apparently but um but Niffenager was she was impressed enough that at how much they wanted the book and also she says um, she is, she's just, my background is in punk music. She says, uh, I'd always pick the indie company over the giant corporation. So, yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah, they, they pay, which they paid that a hundred thousand dollars, which is more than they had ever paid for a book before. They took out ads in like the New York times and all this, this big gun stuff that they had never done before. <laughs> um, and it paid off for them, but, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> there's a, a good quote, man. Can I find it? It's, um, Oh, okay. This is from uh, Annika Straitfeld, who was who might still be, or, or at least was at the time, uh, Niffenegger's editor from uh, McAdam Cage. And uh, she says, uh, being a small publisher, we are conscious of risk all the time. But even so, this felt like a better bet than usual. In any case, running an independent publishing company is just about the silliest thing you could do with your money. So everything is a big risk. <laughs> Which I feel like is a good way to, to to look at it. Just like this is, we aren't bankers. Like no. we are, <laughs> we yeah. aren't. We obviously, if we if the point was to get the biggest return on our on our investment, we would not be running this wackadoodle publishing house where we read everything that anybody sends us. That's <laughs> so wild to me. I certainly identify that from the nonprofit world, where you're just like, you can be refreshingly honest. Because the stakes are simultaneously so high and so low, <laughs> like right, all you yeah, have like, to like, lose like, is everything, but it's <laughs> but everything is exclusively yours. It's you know, there all you gotta do is knock like one out of a thousand out of the yeah. park, and you might just make it. <laughs> and you'll be fine. <laughs> uh, one one rising tide lifts a thousand sinking boats. Um, <laughs> so let's get into this book. Why don't we? Okay. Um, we did a time travel book last week, and this book is similarly uh, about time travel. About time travel, and it is similarly about a time travel that is not like 
uh, H.G. Wells or like we have machines that cause the time. Like this book has a very loose relationship with, let's say, science fiction. The it's- mechanic is not fully explained. Uh, uh, they- oh, it is. Sort of. It is. It is a, <laughs> an attempt to explain it is made like multiple times throughout the book, uh, and the characters try to understand it better throughout the book. But it is not a like rigorous scientific exercise. Um, so the two main characters uh, are Henry, who is the time traveler, and uh-huh. Claire, who is the who wife. Is his wife. <laughs> and I do. This feels kind of like the obituary where. Like a woman dies, and it's all about how she's some guy's wife. Yeah, it is a little. I will. Let's get that. Let's get that. But I guess on you couldn't. Like, if you called the book Claire the Normal Woman, <laughs> who married a, a time who married a time traveler. Yeah, let me not, try to define would, yeah. her not by the time traveler real quick. She is an artist who makes uh, sculptures primarily out of paper, and. Uh, wants to succeed in that in life. And she also wants to be a mother. At making things out of paper? Yeah, she makes a lot of her sculpture is based uh, like around birds, and she uses not something like the next level of paper mache. I don't quite understand paper all of mache the Paper mache too. Yeah, paper mache too. The improved uh, version. She leveled up, and she does come from a well-to-do family, so there's like an interesting section in the book where she's talking to some of her artist friends who are like scraping by and she can kind of afford to uh, just do her art in an apartment in Chicago and not necessarily have to worry about making ends meet. Now um, is that because it does, is that because of her husband or is that because her paper mache birds are successful enough? Uh, it is before her art is super successful um, just as she's getting married to her husband, but also she has like interest from like money left to her from her parents, kind of thing. Oh, okay. um, so there, there is a little bit of upper class crusty stuff that she deals with um, as as she kind of emerges from her family's shell. So right. I think she like the title comes from this quote that opens the book from a, a, a 19- I, mean, I think the title the title comes from the fact that there's a time traveler no, and there's no, no, a woman no. who's married to so it. So the the conception of the book came from this like poem that Oh, uh, oh, oh, oh. I thought yes. okay. <laughs> No, I was not being facetious. You understand my confusion. <laughs> uh Niffenager has cited this poem um and the quote from JB Priestley is clock time is our bank manager, tax collector, police inspector. This inner time is our wife. And that this concept of uh, man as in mankind or, or humankind kind of being married to our experience of time. So she wanted, I think the, the germ of this story came from like, how do I represent this very, this idea I find very interesting visually? Oh wait, I'm not satisfied by that. I'm going to turn it into characters and I'm going to make it a novel. Sure. Um, so there's Claire and then there's Henry who is the time traveler and his, uh, he is, who is he? He is a librarian um, who works at the Newberry, which is a real uh, famous library in Chicago. His parents are both musicians. His mom was an opera singer. His dad is this like super successful violinist. And when he's like five, for the first time, he just time travels. So he is what <laughs> is called a chrono-impaired person 
or a chrono displaced person. So okay. much, sounds very PC. Yeah, much of the book takes place. Like, why do the kids on the schoolyard call him? Um, well, he nobody like people don't know. He tries to keep it a secret, and for most of his life, he basically is the only person he knows who suffers from this. Okay, but uh, future Henry, Henry in the two thousands, um, later in his life, knows that this is a genetic disorder. Has may or may not have something to do with dopamine. It's unclear. And he has no control over when and how he teleports backward, mostly backward in time, occasionally so forward. The I mean, the book is called The Time Traveler's Wife. How much, how much from Henry's perspective do we get? Like, how important is he to the... Oh, the whole story. Super freaking important. It's ba- so uh, like is he like a secondary protagonist? Do we get like do we get like POV chapters from him a lot? Or so each chapter opens with um, the year that it, like the month and year that it is, uh, mm-hmm. and how old relevant characters are. So the first chapter, Saturday, October twenty sixth, nineteen ninety one. Henry is twenty eight. Claire is twenty. And in this chapter, we see that Claire Claire meets uh, uh, Claire comes to Henry's job in Chicago, and uh, she sees him and goes, "Oh my God, it's you! I found you!" And okay. he's like, "Who the heck are you? I don't know mm-hmm. who you are." And sh- they go out on a date because he thinks she's cute, and she tells him that she has grown up knowing him. And that he has visited her several times throughout her life, and that she knows that she's supposed to marry him, and sh- and she's so excited to have found him. Okay. So then, just like big picture, uh, he is twenty eight at this point. The rest of his life, he will occasionally get tossed back in time to Claire random moments in Claire's childhood and teenage years. And like hangs out with her. Now, are, are we to understand that they are like cosmically linked in some way? Like, is there any timeline where he ever meets someone else? No, or, the, yuck, okay. the timeline thing here is a way to. It's it, yeah, at its very base level, it's what if? Okay, you you know that feeling when or this feeling that's you know sometimes we think we experience or we see in other stories where you are meant for someone that is just who that soulmates or whatever you want to call it. Um, these two people are intertwined. So the entire timeline will always happen where they get together. Um, so there's this like bizarre feedback loop where he go, she is on a date with him and she gives him this piece of paper from her diary. That's a list of dates where he came back and visited her. Okay. He dictated that to her when she was six so that she would always know when he was coming. But he only knows the dates because she gave it to him on their date. Now, right? How weird is it? For a grown man, yes, it is weird to be like, "Hey, six-year-old, it is weird." Um, get a pen and paper because you're gonna grow up to be fine, and <laughs> I need to 
get with that. He does not do that. He 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 points out how weird it is. He st- He's it just is, lampshading. I think it is objectively weird. Um, but he does. He is also aware of how objectively weird it is. So I think he doesn't. Is he? He is. I don't know that he. Uh, I don't know that he starts going back in time. Could he possibly be? I don't know that he starts going back in time until, uh, until they're married. I want to say. Um, I hope I'm not getting that wrong because uh, the book is a little confusing in this way. I mean, that's pretty conservative not to time travel at all until you get married. <laughs> no, 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 no. Not to time travel back into her timeline. So oh, I, okay. I, and the way that it is also explained is that because he has no control over the time traveling, it, the best analogy he has is that like certain people or moments in his life uh, have like almost a gravitational pull so that he will jump when he gets like stressed out or uh has like a you know has like a physical reaction to an emotional state and then all of a sudden he will literally just disappear his clothes will fall to the ground because nothing can go with him Mm -hmm. and he will appear somewhere in time and space just naked just oh this so this is very terminatory just butt naked and so when he first can't go through the time travel machine. Correct. So I, there are a couple times where the book addresses this, and there's like a, I have a couple questions. So <laughs> he first only <laughs> he first goes back and when he first goes back to Claire's life, her timeline, and she's six. Uh, he like realizes that still don't like that. I know because he doesn't know what year it is whenever he shows up, and he realizes that. Uh, he hasn't met her yet because there isn't like a box in this meadow by her house where she started leaving clothes for him. So like once she meets him and he tells her that he's a time traveler, which cause she's six, she just takes it in stride. Um, he's like, Hey, maybe next time when I come back, could you leave some of your dad's or brother's clothes in a box for me? Like in the bushes. What, so what do you, what do you say if you get caught doing that? Well, she and never like, does. And she what never if you're, does. I don't when know. you're 14 and you're like, yeah, hey, dad, I'm sorry. I'm taking your clothes to put them in the forest box for my time travel friend who I met when I was six. <laughs> so she doesn't tell anyone about him. Well, of course not. Um, which I want to let, let me get back to that. I want to get back to the to the the awkwardness of the physical nature of the time travel. So there are two moments in the book where where it comes back to this in ways that I find frustrating. Um, one, it delivers on it where like later in the book they're married, they're living together, and a different Henry from a different timeline just like crashes into their kitchen. Whoa! And like, and this happens all the time. Like Henry doubles back on himself multiple times throughout his life and throughout the book, and. He like crashes in their kitchen and like breaks all their dishes and gets like glass in him or, or whatever. And then when he tra- when he like pops back out of that timeline, like he has a seizure basically and all the glass gets like flung out of his body and then he goes back to whatever timeline he came from. Okay. So like okay, that fits your rules, right? Okay, cool. I mean, I guess I wonder like if he ever got a filling, like would that travel with him? I also kind of like if you had two copies of your husband around like hey 
Um, this you book into like this book is down like, to clown, Andrew. <laughs> is it down to clown? Do the uh, people clown? His I was I was of course gonna say like, could you get him to like make you dinner and mow the lawn at the same time? Uh, it's not quite. No, it's it's freakier than that. Like, ooh, nice. All right, I didn't. I was worried they wasn't getting it freaky enough. <laughs> One character, uh, his like neighbor growing up, um, this Korean woman who like kind of raised him, um, while his parents were off being like musicians. Uh, she makes a joke about it later, like because she knows she that he's a time She's... traveler, and she makes a joke about them having like a menage a trois. Like Claire, Henry, and Henry. Yeah, of course. Like, I guess if you had a time traveling friend, you'd probably make those jokes all the time. Later in the book, yeah, jokes. <laughs> later in the book, funny jokes. He travels back in time. I think he's talking to a sixteen-year-old Claire, and they're like, this, "I don't." You gotta. I know. You gotta stop talking to her when she's. Uh, I. He doesn't have any control over it. Um, I think she kisses what him. He would say though, she kisses him. But after he has remarked that she has a cold, and then back in the future, Claire remarks that he got sick from catching a cold that she had 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. How did the germs go, Andrew? Do the ger- Are the germs part of him that travel they through must, time? I mean, they must be. They must because, okay, so clothes are too far apart from him, but germs are like, cause like your gut bacteria and stuff would have to come. Like, I, I guess that, I guess that there must be some room in the filter for that kind of this thing. This book does not have, it uh, needs a deeper understanding of like the, the human body. Like, it either needs fewer <laughs> specifics or more specifics. It, that's, that's a, the place where a lot of time travel fiction falls. And, and those couple of instances aside, the traveling mostly is is really satisfying and interesting um from a like it's pretty quickly just here's how it works okay cool and here are the what Niffenager does pretty well is like imagine how that might affect both the traveler and the people that know whoever the traveler is so sure the thing i wanted to get back to is that claire has this really interesting teenage hood where her friends don't really know why she doesn't date anyone and like why she isn't interested in anybody and oh man can you i feel like time, i have a time traveling boyfriend as the ultimate version of the like canadian boyfriend <laughs> oh and, and he's just never around he's just never around he, and there's like a there's like a slumber party where on a ouija board like the name Henry and hu- and the word husband comes up and everyone's Ooh. like, "Ooh, who's Henry? He's gonna be your husband." He's and my time traveler. She's like, boyfriend. "I can't tell you about him." And then there's a she goes on a date at one point and uh, or a guy tries to like take her on a date and then he tries to make a move on her and she resists and it gets violent. And then the next Gross, time, right? the next time that she sees Henry, she asks Henry to help like teach him a lesson and like Henry like kicks the crap out of him. Um, but that that whole chapter dives a little bit more into like how weird and tough it is for claire to like (sighs) she's got this like perfect future man that she's been looking forward to her entire life right that she only sees intermittently so she's always waiting for him and she only has him for you know random bits of time now like is he (sighs) The rest of the time, is he just in times where she doesn't exist? Yeah, so his life, in as much as it occurs 
chronologically. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said at the beginning of the book, when they quote unquote meet in in Claire's real timeline when she's twenty, you know he's twenty eight and he uh, he lives like sort of in order. He has a present that he comes back to. Um, but he does muse that like maybe he's a couple years older than he thinks because he does like he'll spend a couple days in the past and then come mm-hmm. back to the present and it'll only have been a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does that Jumanji thing, you know, where he like disappears. <laughs> right, the Jumanji thing, and then he comes back. He and He's got like a beard or a whatever. Board game and <laughs> um, but the I think what Niffenegger's after from a like metaphorical or like commentary comment commenting on relationships angle is that like they each have um asymmetrical experiences of their relationship they each have information that the other one doesn't at various points in time so like as she's growing up and this guy is appearing and like after a couple visits she like he kind of lets slip that they're going to be together and then this becomes like a thing She's like poking and prodding and trying to like learn about the future and he's really cagey about it. But but she is having experiences with him. Mm-hmm. And then the the present quote unquote Henry that gets married to her and you know grows up with her after he meets quote unquote meets her, um, he doesn't know any of those experiences that she had in the past. Um, so the quintessential moment here is for her 18th birthday. Uh, okay, fine, we're good so far. On her 18th birthday, he has traveled back in time. He is now 41. Mm-hmm. He is coming back from a present where he and Claire are in a rough patch. Uh-oh. They are trying to conceive a child. It's, it's really kind of um, heart-wrenching fourth act of the book where... Uh, because of his chrono instability, like she can't, she can't like talk to your doctor about chrono instability. I no, know. chrono instability sounds more like a side effect <laughs> of taking a different drug. Yeah, like um, this th- this may cure your insomnia, but it may also lead to chrono instability <laughs> and like increased gambling or something. Um, if your timeline persists for more than four hours, please consult a physician. <laughs> She can't carry uh, a baby to term, and they they keep trying. And the the issue is that a future version of him has come back and told her that they do have a kid. So like she's not going to give up. But present Henry is like looking at what he's putting her through, and and doesn't feel good about it. So mm-hmm. he gets a secret vasectomy, which is not great. Not like an interesting move, sir. Like. When it'd be so hard to even tell anybody when you got it. <laughs> so after that happens, he travels back in time. He's 41. He meets Claire on her 18th birthday. And her birthday present is that they have sex. And it's the first time that she has had sex ever. Uh-huh. I think that is the only time where you can credibly use that as a birthday present. And then he and he's like, oh, that felt... That was cool. That was great. I didn't know that that was going to happen. And then he he gets tossed back into the future mm-hmm. where his wife, Claire, is like, Henry's been gone for 24 hours. 
kind of mm-hmm. sucks that he was gone this whole time. What was he doing? I'm kind of pissed at him. And then he comes in and he's got this look on his face like he just had a great time. And she's I like, bet he oh, did. and then she looks at him in the face and goes, oh, that was my birthday, huh? And then they like laugh about it and they're cool again. And she drops <sighs> and she drops the ball to the reader that she's actually pregnant now again because another Henry showed up and they banged. What? <laughs> what? Uh, the timeline in this book is wild, Andrew. That, it also sounds like you'd have a lot of opportunities to be unfaithful. Like you, you come in and she's like, oh, what? whose perfume is that? And, he, and he's like, no, nothing, baby. It's just from you in the past. <laughs> But she remembers all that stuff, so it doesn't work. That's the 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 asymmetrical information thing that I was talking about is that like when she's growing up, he has mm-hmm. knowledge of the future and knowledge of himself and of her. When they're growing up together, as it were, she has all of that, inf- or at least has more of that information than he does. Okay. Um, and I think like, Niffenager's going for that thing that happens in a lot of relationships and in marriages and and just as people kind of grow up together where like you can experience a relationship slightly differently from the person you're in it with and you don't and you don't necessarily even talk about it or know it and that's usually where like some of the best moments come from and also where some of the worst moments come from um I, I think that's really what she's up to when she's not just like dropping him naked in different timelines because uh there's like what a good prank when she when claire first brings him home to meet her family now this is not him popping in her popping up in the meadow naked this is like they've met in quote unquote real time and he's come home to meet the family for christmas and a couple people might recognize him, which is a little tense, but they don't know why. And the explanation is so wild that they never talk about it. Is it because he was hanging around your kid when she was like eight? Well, they, it's at one point her sister like saw him in the basement where she was like hiding him. Oh, no. And he knew her name. And oh, they know it's but like it's so bizarre that no one talks about it. It's one yeah, of those. Like, things. What if we what if we didn't? <laughs> But no, at this point, no one knows that there are chrono displaced people. It's like uh, Henry remarks at one point that in the future there are more of them. But how does wait? No, I call <laughs> nonsense. Maybe there you can't are more... say in the future there are more time travelers. <laughs> well, maybe there are there are more people who know what's happening to them. He doesn't really meet any other ones except uh, I think there's like an offhand reference to one character who might be one and they do end up having a kid who crops up in their timeline um, who does have time travel powers. Um, but the the bit where like Henry doesn't know stuff about her life that she presumes he knows uh, comes to bear after this like awkward dinner with her like rich family and her mom who is like suffering from some mental health issues and, and doesn't know how to manage her anger about a certain situation with uh, Claire's brother. And Henry's kind of taken aback when they're kind of debriefing the dinner. Cause he's like, why didn't you tell me that this like stuff was part of your family? Like it's obviously 
uh, work, you know, emotional work for you. And mm-hmm. it would have been nice to get it. You know, whenever you do that, like first trip home or first holiday with the family, with someone and you're like, what do I need to prep you on? What do I need to? Yeah. What, what do what do you need to be ready for? What don't you know enough about? Like, just let me know. And she doesn't really do that for him because in her mind, he's always been a part of her life. And, the thing like her family is probably like he should just know all that stuff and yeah, like when is the when's the first time anything happens when your husband is a time traveler <laughs> exactly <laughs> um it so he is this like 28 year old who's like i don't know any of this stuff because the person who kept jumping back to meet her was in his 30s mm-hmm. and so he doesn't have any inside information on her family and there's this like push and it's they resolve it but it is a another like nugget of actual human emotional work that gets done inside this like time travel romance like i i often feel that there is a like a distinct past version of myself that is always making more work for the present version (laughs) of myself and this is like that but the other direction yeah like a selfish past version that leaves you more stuff to do than you or thought you had to just like a future version that just like assumes that you're good and just <laughs> leaves you to leaves you to dangle in the wind like so what's fa- what's what's wonky about the way the book handles the the macro level timeline stuff is this like is there free will or not is a really open question and the characters address it uh like directly because when Henry very first time travels his very first trip he's five he uh spent the birth spent his birthday at the field museum the field house or whatever it's called in chicago to see like dinosaurs and animals and stuff and he like disappears from his bedroom and goes back there and we actually watch that chapter from the perspective of a 24 year old henry Mm -hmm. who has been pulled back to that moment and Mm -hmm. like knows that his younger self is going to need some help how does he know it because he was that like he was five and another guy named Henry showed up and was like, here's what's up, kid. That's like, a weird paradox. It, it's a it's a it's a paradox that is reinforced throughout the book. And mm-hmm. at one point, the kid is a little bit older. He's hanging out with another future version of himself. They look at each other in the mirror and there's like the same scar on their head from from an accident when they were a kid. And that's when young Henry realizes that there are not just other time travelers out there looking out for him. It's it's just just himself. And it's like this interesting... How disappointing. (laughs) I know, how disappointing and how lonely. Um, It's just me. Yeah, and and the thing that his older self, like he... There's a montage where he's like teaching him how to pick locks and like pick pockets and stuff because when you get tossed back into the past and you don't have any clothes, you need like you need to be resourceful. Like you need to be able to eat and stuff like that. So he kind of has to corrupt his little kid self for survival, (laughs) but he's teaching his little kid self, the things that his future self taught him. And if I keep saying that it will never end because it's a loop. Right. Like the movie looper, like that movie looper, which Um, almost won best picture a few times, but but avatar, avatar, avatar kept beating it. Um, And the like, so the message from the like free will perspective that the book, as much as it deals with it, is a kind of like live in the present message. Like, 
when you're in the moment, when you're actually in a real new moment with someone, just try to make the world as good as you can and, and accept it for what it is. Um, because you can never, anything that's in the past, you can't change it. Either you are there to make it happen, which is what I was just talking about with him teaching himself to do stuff. Right. Or, so he lost his mom when he was uh, six or seven, maybe, or maybe when he was five, I don't remember, mm-hmm. in, a, in a tragic car accident where, like, a piece of metal flies off a truck and, like, like kills her instantly. And he has a scar on his head from it, but they found him outside the car naked because he, like, time-traveled out of there. Like... Right? And it would be pretty rough because I feel like no matter like whenever anything tragic happened in your life, you'd always you'd always be thinking about like, could I have prevented this in some way with my time travel power? So what ends up happening, and he talks to Claire about this, is he keeps getting pulled back there and he's able to actually tell the story of what happened because he's seen it like a dozen times. Like right. he'll go back and he'll be in a car like in the passenger seat or he will, you know, he was at the hospital watching his dad get the news or he saw his little kid self on the highway and like put his coat on him or like called the ambulance. Like, so he can never go back and change it. Anytime he goes back, he just like becomes part of, he just he is just becomes, and always he, like, was part more, of the story. He learns more about this thing that he cannot yeah. do anything. And about. that's, okay. that's, that's a thing that happens over and over that he kind of gets sad about. And, and, uh well yeah yeah <laughs> like at one point they're at a party and he's like he really likes punk music and uh like kind of latches onto these two teens at a, at a party who are like modeling they've like wearing all this kind of like 70s punk gear and it's like mm-hmm. the early 90s or something and he goes over and strikes up a conversation and then like he debriefs with claire about how sad some of that stuff makes him because yeah he could go back and like go to a concert that maybe he missed if if that if it like worked out for him but he would always know that like that band didn't last or this thing that's important to him isn't as important to the world that he's currently in sure um and that's kind of sad and then the other the other thing, he does get in a fight with his dad later in the book because his dad was obviously really wrecked by the loss of it, of his wife. And loss is a perennial theme in the book. And um, he gets in a fight with Henry being like, "You, I know that you're sad about it, but you like you didn't even know her, so I can't even imagine that you remember her. And Henry's like, yo, I go back and see her all the time. Right. Like, I go back and watch you guys on dates. I've, like, said hi to her at a grocery store. Like, I go back and see her, and it is wonderful and terrible. Um, and that's the first time he's ever told his dad that. So his dad is like, oh, it's so... the It's this interesting, like, positive reaction to that moment where he's like, oh, it's so good to know that you can just go see her. Like, he expects his dad to be, like, upset and, and mad about it. Well, I'm sure his dad, like his dad, probably had an uncle who time traveled. Like it's probably that, a recessive. That, they don't trait talk about that. They the book treats Henry like the first, and that is an unfortunate. Like, That's not under- no. Again, you can't have a first time traveler. <laughs> Good lord, have you never seen an episode of Star Trek? Um, so the ba- the band thing is interesting. Yeah, to me. Sure. I feel like more often 
and maybe this is just a function of the bands that I've liked over my over the course of my life. But I feel like more often it's the case where you where you would like go back and see a band in its prime, and you would know like the world eventually finds you so important, even if you oh, aren't sure. necessarily appreciated as much in the like in the day. Yeah. He talks about it like you go back. You go back and you see like the Velvet Underground or something, or like I don't know the Pixies in the eighties. Well, and, and not the Pixies in the two thousands, <laughs> which is when I saw them. I, those are actually two good reference points. I don't know if he mentions the Pixies. I know he mentions Velvet Underground. and He talks a lot about the Violent Femmes, um, and I know that some of those are that's that's a wider year bracket. Um, sure, but he talks about those bands and and does talk about like oh it would be you know and can be great to go see them but like even if i know what impact they have like that's not still around that's not a way that people are like living um in whatever that i think he misunderstands what seeing a concert is like (laughs) well he's also like up until he meets claire i think there's sort of like a, a nihilism to the time traveling where sure he doesn't know why and he doesn't he can see all of these different things and experience all these different things but he also is always getting into scrapes and and always like treating people terribly like he does have an ex-girlfriend Ingrid who crops up throughout the book mostly as a character to show how terrible he's been to people up until Claire like that type of absence and both from a like literal in the book time traveling absence but also you could you could view it as a metaphor for emotional absence or like just when people just kind of bail on relationships and stuff um and he treats her terribly and she is a tragic figure in the book um and claire the relationship with claire is kind of held in relief to that as this person he aspires to be he aspires to be a normal person he aspires to domesticity he aspires to just like marriage and fatherhood, even though this condition he has uh, makes that very tough. Obviously. Yeah. Um, and I, I also say condition because one of the things that struck me, and I haven't really seen it in too much of the write-ups of the book, but I found pretty moving was just that like Claire as a character is in the caretaker role. Like Henry's just pop up in her life randomly and she has to she <laughs> has, has to, to deal with like here's yeah. some soup here's a beer like I hope it's not too bad this time well and because sometimes he like he shows up and he is like bleeding and has been beaten up and he's just like naked on her door and then she either uh on her doorstep you go back I think if you go back to like 600 AD yeah sure or uh like the like 12,000 BC, you know, all the, all the times that you can go back to on the time travel scale in the video game. In Chrono Trigger. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, He, so she just has to care for him and she doesn't really get full explanations of what's happened. And it's, I saw some of that as analogous to caring for some, you know, and it's treated in the book as a disease. So like there is an element of, her living this life that she does and does not have control over. Um, now, how, like, I feel like, especially because he's time traveling a lot and he's always drawn back to her, I feel like he, she would always have, like, how often does she have some version of him around? Um, Like, how much Henry continuity is there? Once they're married, once they're together in her timeline, 
you know, starting when she's age 20, they're together pretty often and he will okay. disappear for maybe, you know, a few hours or, you know, a day at most or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a period in their life where they're pretty they're pretty well off and doing okay and he only like disappears like once every couple months and that uh that starts to break down when they start trying to have kids and it becomes analogous to like should we have kids knowing that this is a potential genetic problem we need to seek out medical help for my genetic issue so that whether or not it can help me before i die because uh, the later part of this book, there's like a race against the clock where he's seen a version of how he dies and, and they, they're trying to figure out the medical solution before that happens. Um, should that not work? Can we get something that will help our daughter? Um, and so she has a pretty continuous experience of him, but later in the book, she does talk a lot about how like freeing it is when he's not there to like, Early in their relationship, she's always waiting for him. And then what is it for her to, like, he's gone. And she, like, takes a trip for to, like, Lake Michigan and doesn't even tell him that she went just because right. she could. Um, so that that's another part of the, of the book that mirrors, like, that late stage of or that challenging stage of a long-term relationship where you're like, okay, this is what the status quo is, but there's... There's stuff in it that's not ideal. How do we navigate that? Um, yeah. And then also, like, he is still learning about what he's done already in the past, which is just a whole other part of his character that's kind of wild. Mm-hmm. Um, the other... <laughs> I do... Before we run out of time, Andrew, there's some... Can we? That's a great point. There's two kind of wild sequences that happen in the book one is their wedding so imagine you're getting married and you imagine, are okay I, I know already where you're going and imagine if you're getting married and you have four groomsmen and they're all you <laughs> that that could be how it works imagine you're waiting to get married and you're a chrono impaired person and you know if you get too stressed out that you're going to disappear. And you look out the window. Oh, of you your... would disappear like a hundred times. Yeah, you. Oh my god! Including I when I oh my god. melted my tie. I would have disappeared so many times. Um, you look out the window of your wedding venue and you see a naked older version of yourself in the bushes giving you a thumbs up. Uh huh. Totally what happens in the book. Okay. And right before the ceremony, um, their best friend like goes to look for him and he's not there. And then Claire's kind of getting worried, and all of a sudden she looks, and a version of him with longer hair and a beard, but also in a tux, is walking down the aisle. <laughs> and so she gets married to like a 40-something version of him, and then the real version comes back like an hour later during the party, and they do like a bait-and-switch and then they still have to go back and get married at like the courthouse. Like, like he was in his own. He was in his own wedding. Wait, but why not- do you have to go back to the court? How do you explain that to the clerk? Like, yeah, I know we got married and everything, but it wasn't. It's unclear why <sighs> they did that. But she definitely married him twice at two different ages because he filled in for himself. That's kind of. That's like some good time travel hijinks. Like this book has some good hijinks as well. Good I'm time travel hijinks. Like they make you mad, but also <laughs> you're 
Yeah. They're like fun still, so you still yes. like it. So then there's another part, and this is earlier in the book, and it's talking about when Henry is uh like he's a teenager, he's still learning about his own time travel. His mom has passed, he's living with his dad. And this is how a chapter opens. It says Henry is fifteen and fifteen. This is a little this is hmm. I'm in my bedroom with myself. He's here from next March. We are doing what we often do when we have a little privacy, when it's cold out, when both of us are past puberty and haven't quite gotten around to actual girls yet. I think most people would do this if they had the sort of opportunities I have. No! I mean, I'm not gay or anything. No! 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 And then his dad walks in on them. And his dad doesn't speak to him for three weeks, and he turns to his future self from three months from now and is like, why didn't you tell me that was going to happen? And he's like, eh, can't change anything. No, you can, though. Oh, my God. That's... No, no. (laughs) No. This book is wild, No, that's not how any teenager... You no, don't if know. any, if any, no, you if any, know. no, if any teenager could change that moment, that's okay. That's where fair. their parent walks in on on them discovering their sexuality with themselves. With well, like in any, in, like it wouldn't <laughs> even have to be a weird like time travel like moment. Sure. That's like meta. <laughs> oh my god, is it still? Okay, here's a question. Here's oh, a question. Sure. Is okay. it still masturbation if it's a different <laughs> version of you that's doing it? <laughs> I I think can we say that and not have put the explicit tag on the podcast? I think I we're fine. I think Audrey right. Niffenager has a good sense of humor and this was the she looked at the book that she had dreamt up and she was like, I can't not do it. And she turned to her editor and was like, I'm going to do it. And they're like, you wouldn't. And she was like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I did it. <laughs> I did it. Live with it. Oh, no. I put, you tried to cut this part out of the book. And I put it in there. Uh, I did, And it's like, okay. Okay. Sure. It is all. I mean, that like that's beyond the parts where like Henry from different timelines is having sex with Claire. Because like. He he does at t- at certain points talk about how he's jealous of other versions of himself that she's with, and like that's an that in and but of it was itself, you or it will be you. I know. How but, can you be? Je- but it's also a literal different person in meat space. So like you can't. He's he's like catching himself feeling jealous and being like that's weird. It's me, um, but he can't help the human response. And I guess that's also what this scene is. He can't help. The human response. No, that's not a human response. (laughs) (sighs) So to take us out. I just, I just, Uh I think that my shame about my body, my healthy white Protestant, we are both a little shame. We are both like, we try to be pretty sex positive, but I know both of us are a little like, we get a little prudy sometimes for, for the goofs. I'm pretty about my own personal mm, fair. situation because, again, with the body shame thing, I just, I would hope that past and future versions of me would respect. Oh, that's good. That point. I would not want to see me naked. <laughs> 
But maybe like future you has figured it out and can come back and like tell you that is listen, cool. Listen, if future if if future me has it figured out and past me like doesn't, I don't know. I don't think I could. You I think it would well, have to be based believe, on lived experience. Yeah, you wouldn't believe future self, and that's part of how the timeline works. Like time, like future self's going to come back and be like, "It's cool," and you're like, "No, it's not. I'm teenage no, it's Andrew. Really not. You don't get it anymore. <laughs> you don't get it, old Andrew." I think the force of teenage <laughs> Andrew's shame would actually make future Andrew forget whatever it was that he had learned that made him more positive. Uh, yeah, about yeah. Um, oh man, are you gonna tell me any more about this book? <laughs> yeah, I got I a little I, bit. I, think I'm done. I got just a little bit. Um, okay. I think, by and large, the time travel as a metaphor for a bunch of different human experience stuff works pretty well. Um, it's a pretty moving relationship, even if you look at the, even when if you have to look past the like problematic premise where like he basically co-opted her life without knowing it by time traveling into her childhood. Like that's, that stinks. Um, mm-hmm. But the way that they work together later in their life to, to try and get over their obstacles, it's a pretty good love story in, in that way. Um, I do, I did find parts of the book really draggy. Um, there are like dinner scenes where kind of Niffenegger, will lax the pace a little bit to let all the characters hang out together. You had no, you had mentioned that you were surprised that the book was as long as it was. And I think that's not the kind of thing you say where you're like pleasantly surprised yeah. by the amount of content. Because I, and I wouldn't necessarily cut any individual beat out of this book. I was just like, there were parts where I could feel myself wanting to, to get maybe two pages ahead to where I could feel the next plot beat was going to happen. Because overall the plot is really interesting, um, the the slower... I can tell you what part I would skip. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Uh, and then she does dip into cliches every once in a while, um, mostly through Henry's voice. So I don't know if it's like it's one of those things where I don't know that it's like a purposeful character trait, but it's like when he's explaining what it feels like to time travel. And he first he explains all the nakedness stuff, and then he's trying to get into what it feels like. He says, it feels exactly like one of those dreams when you suddenly realize you have to take a test you haven't studied for and you aren't wearing any clothes, and you've sure. left your wallet at home. Yeah, that's um, a good, yeah. Or like when he is first meeting Claire and he's pretty attracted to her, he's like, I now have, this is just not even a cliche, it's just kind of awkward, like, I now have an erection that is probably tall enough to ride some of the scarier rides at Great America without a parent. And like, I don't... Why would you say that to what? another human person? <laughs> what what narrator narrator reader relationship do we have? This is like the first chapter of the book, my dude. I am yeah, I honestly was not like I thought I was going to have more room to goof on the the like the the possibilities for horniness without having the book being like, "No, hold this, on, hold on, hold on. I got this it. Book I got is this." Mad horny because mm-hmm. One of the other things about Henry is he likes to have sex, and sure, he likes God, to. Geez. He also likes to run. He likes being physically active. Both of those things because they keep him in the present moment. So he is like he runs like mu- multiple miles every day, mm-hmm. and he and Claire like have a very active sex life. 
Uh, and they talk about it that he like is perhaps over eager and and maybe they need to like figure out how to manage that as a relationship because for him it is a way of like staying present and not getting pulled into the past and like staying connected to her and to to his own body so like it is equal parts like I wish you would be just a tiny bit less connected to his own body (laughs) this book is equal parts like Uh. hornier than I expected and like surprisingly smart about how it connects it to the thieves of the book so mm-hmm. i couldn't i guess i mean as long as it's like thematically horny then i guess we have to be cool about the it. time traveler's wife thematically horny that's our review i know that's what roger ebert said about it yep the movie version the- do I want to see the movie version? How many of these scenes are faithfully replicated in the movie version? I don't know. Please, somebody tell me or don't. It's, this book is wild. I had a good, I had a good time. Uh, so thanks for des- th- thanks to Destination Toast for taking me on this time traveling journey. Uh, thanks, Andrew, for going on it with me. Oh, I'm so glad that I did. Yeah. Uh, and if you have a time travel story... Uh, you can share them with us on social media. Not all, any kind of... You, I think you have some idea of what kind of stories we do and don't want to hear at this Yeah, twitter.com slash overduepod or facebook.com slash overduepod. Uh, shoot us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. Uh, thanks to the following folks, uh, some of whom, or our par- a partial list of folks who reached out to us this week, including Hannah, Matthew, Malcolm, Rebecca, Amy, Tessa, Natalie, Sam, Lynn, Aubrey, Michael, Jessica, Kara, Joanne, Jennifer, Ronnie, Holly and many many more, Andrew. If folks we had a big week for social for yeah maybe reasons that we can mention here in a sec. Yeah, Andrew. If folks want to know more about the show, where should they go? They should go to overduepodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there, we have all those social links that Craig mentioned. We have links to iTunes, Google Play, RSS. Those are ways you can subscribe to the show. If you subscribe in iTunes, do rate and review us because we like it. You don't need any other reason other than that. I don't think. Um, we also have links to our Patreon page, which you can use to financially support us if you'd like. And uh, we also have some books that we are going to read coming up in the future. So for March, we just posted our March schedule this past week. Um, so March 5th, that's today, Craig read The Times Traveler's Wife. Uh, next week, I'm going to read Color of Magic by Terry Pratchett, which I believe is the first of the Discworld books. Yep. Uh, March 19th, Craig is reading Charlotte's Web by E.B. White. I am astounded that you have not read this book yet. And then uh, March 26th, I am reading Gone with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell. Wish me luck because, yikes, it's a big one. we uh, just made the formal announcement that for the big 300, it's uh, it's time to get wild. We're going to talk about Twilight. We're going to talk about Twilight... Stephanie Myers, the book by Stephanie Meyer, magnum opus. Now I do feel like I need to emphasize that we have not committed in any way to reading the entire series of books. We're going to read this first one. We're going to talk about it for episode 300 and it's going to be a good time, but that's all we are doing. That's all we are committing to in this current timeline. Now future Andrew, future Craig's <laughs> going to come back and say, you don't know what you started. <laughs> I wish I could help you. Yeah, well, there you go. Yeah, yikes. Andrew, thanks for time traveling with me this week. Yeah, I guess it's cool. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, try to be happy.
That was a HeadGum Podcast.